Come on, let's give that hand clap of praise to Jesus. Come on, praise him like it's the first Sunday of a brand new year. Thank you, Lord, for keeping your hand on us every day of 2021. Lord, and we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. You may be seated. So thrilled to see each of you in the house of the Lord. You know, I ask you to be seated, but then I'm going to turn my, your attention to the scripture. So if your custom is to stand for the reading of the word, just get ready for exercise in just a moment. Genesis 28, 18 through 22. Genesis 28, 18 through 22. I want to say how thankful uh, that I am to be here tonight. I love Brother and Sister Vasquez. Aren't you blessed with incredible leadership and uh, just incredible, great people. So as I had the opportunity to meet Brother Vasquez, every once in a while I'd text somebody and say, hey, I just had lunch with Brother Vasquez, or maybe he just preached for us. What a great guy. And I heard from several people. He's one of the greatest Christians you'll ever meet. Now, I don't know if you're paying them all very well because they're saying the same thing, but either way, that's a great compliment. And that is what I've learned to experience, and I know you have as well. And it's also just a thrill to be here with Bishop and Sister Wilson. What, what great people, and um, had a chance to be with them a little bit. They, they took time out of their busy schedule to drive to Marion, Arkansas, to have lunch with my parents uh, earlier last year now, and uh, you'll never know how much that means to me. Thank you so much. My wife and I have talked many times that um, when we grow up, we want to be like you guys. That, that's our goal. And so thrilled to have my wife and our youngest son, Carrier, with us. We call him Coco. Thrilled that they are with us tonight. Uh, and I'm looking forward to what God is going to continue to do in this room. Genesis chapter 28, verse number 18 and following. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. I want to talk to you for a little while about the impact of an altar. Turn to three people, smile just as big as you can smile. Smile so big they can see your tonsils or where they used to be. And tell them the impact of an altar. Let's ask God to anoint our time together in his word. God, your presence is in this place. We feel your presence. Lord, on this first Sunday night of a brand new year, Lord, we ask you to anoint our time together in your word. God, I pray that you will anoint your word. Let it be loosed in our lives, God. We bind anything that's unlike you in the name of Jesus, and we pray that your word will do its perfect work. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said amen. 
Why don't you put your hands together and give God praise for what he's about to do. And you may be seated. The impact of an altar. Stephen Foster, in his book entitled Hill Catcher, the story of Jacob revisited for those who are anxious, tired, and struggling to make life work, points out that Jacob is mentioned in 355 verses in the Bible from Genesis to Hebrews. His story occupies the last 25 chapters of Genesis, the last half of the book. More time is spent on the story of Jacob than on the stories of Abraham and Isaac combined. In chapter 32 of Genesis, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Therefore, for the rest of Scripture, and really throughout all of eternity, God's people are associated with the person of Jacob. The 12 gates of the heavenly city of Jerusalem are inscribed with the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On 12 occasions in Scripture, God is called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or Israel. God identified himself with Israel's three originating patriarchs. Abraham beget Isaac, Isaac beget Jacob. Three generations, each receiving the blessing and promise of God. But on 24 separate occasions in Scripture, God is specifically called the God of Jacob, the Mighty One of Jacob, the Holy One of Jacob, the King of Jacob, or the Portion of Jacob. And if you add the number of times that God called the God of Israel, he's called the God of Israel, the new name given to Jacob by God, then you increase the total by another 201 references. Amazing, 225 references. He is the God of Abraham, the God of the father of many nations. He is the God who keeps his promises even when it seems humanly impossible. He's the God of Isaac, that makes sense. The God of laughter. He's the one who delights in surprising us and catching us off guard, bringing us joy in unexpected ways. But he's the God of Jacob, the God of heel catchers, the God of people whose character isn't everything it ought to be, the God who loves us in spite of ourselves, who, who never, ever gives up on us who catches us even when we are desperately pursuing other things. Quite simply, if God can love Jacob, he can love anybody. Even you, even me, especially you, especially me. And so when we turn to Genesis chapter 28, we see Jacob who has pulled his share of crafty tricks in his lifetime. But this time, he has overplayed his hand. He finds himself running from his father, from his mother, from his home, from his twin brother Esau, who is determined to kill him. He is a man on the run. He had lost the foot race with his past. 
His past had finally caught up with him. And so now he's running to his uncle Laban's house in Haran, the last place on this earth that he wanted to be, but the last place in the world where he thought he could finally be free, maybe. This was his only option, and so he ran. He was desperate. He was determined. He was down to his last strike. And verse 11 of chapter 28 says, So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. He didn't have a hotel reservation. He didn't have a plan. He just ran until he couldn't run anymore. And he fell on the ground in utter exhaustion. And he took up one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. What a pitiful sight. Here sleeps the grandson of the patriarch Abraham, away from family, away from home, away from God. Then he dreamed a dream, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. In the depth of his despair, a ladder was set up. In the pit of his hopelessness, a ladder was set up. When he had run till he couldn't run anymore, a ladder was set up. When he was totally out of options, a ladder was set up. Brother Don Johnson used to sing it this way, from the depths of the pit, I tried so hard, but I couldn't touch him. There in my despair, I cried so loud, yet it seemed he didn't hear me. Lost and undone, full of sin and so corrupt, God's hand reached further down than I could reach up. When he was all out of options, a ladder was set up. Aren't you glad one day there was a ladder that was set up? There was a ladder that extended to wherever you and I were. <laughs> And then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of the Lord were ascending and descending on it. Hold on, hold on just a moment. The angels of the Lord were ascending and descending on it, going up and then coming down. Well, wouldn't you think that the angels would be descending out of heaven and ascending on the ladder back into heaven. Jacob had run until he couldn't run anymore. He had just stumbled upon this location. He just happened to end up here as far as he was concerned. But Jacob, even before he was a gleam in his mama's eye, before he was ever born, his grandpa Abraham wandered around these parts looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. But in the process, he happened to build some altars in that area. I'm here to tell you on this first Sunday of 2022 that God is unconditionally attracted to altars. <laughs> if you ever want to find him, I suggest that you look for him near an altar. You look for him near a sacrifice. 
Even the plan of salvation mirrors the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God's spirit is married to sacrifice. So I have a question tonight. Could it be that Jacob ran headlong into the impact of his granddaddy's sacrifice? Could it be that he stumbled into the results of Abraham's altar? It appears at least to me that he may have run into the influence of angels that had taken up residence at the point of Abraham's consecration. You see, I'm convinced that just like Cornelius' prayers and alms went up as a memorial before God, that something supernatural takes place at the geographical location of our dedication to God. Whether we would say it exactly that way or not, we in this room are all living witnesses of that idea. When you pray in the prayer room around Brother Wilson's prayer log, you understand that somebody consecrated an area. Somebody got a hold of God in an area and it attracted heaven's attention. You must understand that what we do on a consistent basis is not just having church Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. We're not just another apostolic church in northern Mississippi. We're not just one more Pentecostal congregation in Marshall County. But we are building an altar at 88 Overton School Road, Potts Camp, Mississippi, where the consecration and our dedication to God becomes a spiritual point of reference in this particular location. I believe that with all of my heart. Come on and give him praise. <laughs> oh, I thank God for Brother Wilson's prayer log. My grandfather, you knew my grandfather, when, when Bob Burchett passed away several years ago, there was a lady in our life that called my brother and said, your grandpa's gone, but his mantle has been passed down to you and your brothers. I thank God for grandpa's prayers. I could imitate him right now. If you lived in his house, if you were staying there, you were going to pray around his bed before you went to, I could imitate him, but then I'd lose it emotionally. I couldn't do it any longer. But thank God for his prayers. Thank God for Bishop Wilson's prayers. But every generation has to build their own altars. Every generation has got to say, I thank God for the prayers of those that went before me. But I've got to build my own altar because I've got children coming after me. I've got grandchildren coming after me. I've got those who are following after me. And I want them to be able to stumble in to the impact of my altar. Give God praise. <laughs> Flip the calendar pages ahead a few years. When we have lived through the unique difficulties of our current situation, if they are right, when COVID is just a memory and it's just something that we've lived through and it's a once in a lifetime, a hundred year pandemic, I hope to good Lord they're right. But when we've lived through the unique difficulties of this current situation, I'm confident that we will discover that the struggle of our immediate challenge birthed afresh and anew in this area, a seat for angels to sit on. 
that our sacrifice in this moment formed a dynamic force that will impact generations to come. That our altars of today that we have built will have make this a spiritual epicenter, not just in the past and the present, but in the future. A place where the humbled and the homeless and the hopeless, a place where the lonely, the losers and the lost, the place where our neighbors, our children and our grandchildren can stumble in to a divine appointment with God at the point of our sacrifice at the point of our consecration, at the location of our altar with God. Come on and give God praise. Now, were you aware that this idea of angels ascending and descending is also referred to in the New Testament? When Jesus comes in contact with Philip in John chapter 1 and says, follow me, And Philip, being the evangelist that he was, went to Nathanael, and Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he said, come and see the greatest lines of an evangelist. And then Nathanael became convinced that Jesus was indeed who he said he was. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. I submit to you that Jesus is himself the stairway that leads to heaven. If you want to go to heaven, Jesus is the stairway. Jesus is the ladder that will take you from here to there. Later in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but my be. Jesus is the way to heaven, and without him, there is no other way. Then Genesis 28 goes on to tell us, and behold, the Lord stood above the ladder. So Jacob's still dreaming. There's a ladder with angels ascending and descending, and the Lord stands above the ladders and says, watch this, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. (laughs) This is the first time that God has appeared to Jacob. There was an idea in that time period that when you left your homeland, you left your God behind. To this point, it was the God of Abraham and the, the God of Isaac. But God said, oh, we're, we're going to have an encounter. And he told Jacob in that dream seven specific things. I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Secondly, the land on which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. Thirdly, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. Fourthly, and in you and your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In essence, this is basically the same promise that God had given to Abraham all those years ago. There is something about a generational anointing. 
where God is coming to this wayward kid, this backslidden kid, this kid that's running away from God and saying, I know you're running, you're trying to get away, but I've got to tell you, you can't get away from this because in your effort to get away, you ran headlong into the sacrifice of your grandpa. And every promise I gave to him, I am giving to you. Oh, I thank God for the the impact of my grandfather on both sides, my mother and my father. I thank God for a J. Frank Wilson, but I want my kids, I want my grandchildren to be able to say he's my God. I know he was grandpa's God. I know he was dad's God, but he's my God. He's my God. Fifthly, God says, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Jacob was the first in Bible history to hear the assurance, I am with you. This verse records the first time that the Bible says to anybody, God says, I am with you. This promise was repeated to Moses and to Joshua and to Gideon. Indeed, Emmanuel, that we celebrate at Christmas time, means God with us. We know of his continued presence. And Hebrews says, he will not leave us nor forsake us. But it was Jacob who heard it first. You've left me. You're running away. But I've got to tell you, I will not leave you. There, more than this, Jacob is assured of protection. I will guard you in whatever you do. He basically echoes the sentiment that we hear later in Scripture in Numbers chapter 6, where the, the, the priests are told, by this way, if you, will, if you will say these words, you will call the name of the Lord upon the people. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. God then says, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I've spoken to you. These are promises that we need to get a hold of in 2022. If we were tempted If we were tempted at the beginning of 2020 to rely upon what America could give us and what our bank account could give us and what we could get in other forms of of, of, uh, sources, we now, I believe, are convinced that if we're going to be taken care of, it's going to be because God said, I'm with you. I don't know what 2022 brings, but I know he's going to be with you. He's going to be right beside. Whatever you're afraid of, he is right there with you. Then Jacob wakes up from a sleep and says, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. I'm just running for my life here and I ran into camp meeting. I'm just running to get out of a mess, but, but I ran into the presence of the Lord. He said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. One day, I predict that we will look back and say that the place that we are in right now was an excellent place, a holy place, a sacred place. The place is none other but the house of God and the gate of heaven. With everything we're, we're going through, yes, right now. With all the junk that's, yes, right now. 
Then Jacob rose early in the morning and he took a stone that he had put at his head and he set it up as a pillar. <laughs> and he poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me. Everything you just said in the night, if you will be with me. And keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothes to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to it. Don't, don't ever look down. When you see somebody struggling imperfectly to make process toward God. <laughs> Jacob was a hot mess. He, he was broken. He was messed up. He was running for his life. He has an encounter for God, an encounter with God. And all he has is a stone and he has a little oil. <laughs> He doesn't have an animal to sacrifice. He doesn't have a, a cow, but, but he's got a commitment. He, he doesn't have anything that he could offer to God. Don't ever look down your nose. Oh, it's, that's, that's kind of small. That's kind of pure. It was a beginning work. He had run headlong into the influence of the sacrifice of his grandpa. And now in his own fledgling way, he takes a rock that he'd slept on and he pours all on it and says, look, if you do everything you said you'd do, it won't just be the God of Abraham and Isaac. It's going to be the God of Jacob. It won't be just the God of J. Frank Wilson, the God of Steve Wilson, and the God of Jonathan Vasquez. It's going to be my God. You're going to be my God. I, I want you to be my God. The most crucial decision in a person's life is the Lord shall be my God, particularly for young people who are raised in church, that moment, yes, you've got to be baptized. Yes, you've got to receive the Holy Ghost. But that moment when you determine, it doesn't matter what anybody else does, I'm living for God. I'm going to live for God. I'm telling you, when the rapture takes place, I'm going to be living for God someplace. You're going to find me at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm going to be living for God. I don't care what anybody else does. Jacob said, I promise you, God, you will be my God. This is the first time in the scripture where a man made a vow to God. Oh, that's kind of cute, isn't it? Kind of neat. You're out there by yourself. You have this dream. Wasn't pizza. They didn't have pizza back then. Wasn't Mexican. They didn't have that either. And then you, you make this vow. That's kind of neat. But roll the clock ahead a little bit. Go from Genesis 28 to Genesis 35. And God said to Jacob, arise, God now. You notice how much God is initiating this? God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. 
It was just a stone. It was just oil there. But now I want you to make an altar at that same location. And Jacob called his family together now because he's got a large family. He said, all right, guys, time for playing's over. I, I had an encounter with God way back in chapter 28. But right now, we're really getting serious. I want you to put away your foreign gods. I want you to purify yourself. I want you to change your garments. I want you to give me all of all the jewelry that you've got. And, and I want you to go and we are going to give ourselves to God in Bethel. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people there with him. And he built an altar there and he called the place El Bethel because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. I simply came here tonight on this first Sunday of a new year to preach what God dropped in my spirit for this sweet congregation that's got such a strong foundation built upon an altar. Just to remind you, I don't know what your life is about. I, I don't know what your children are like. I don't know how far they've strayed away. But I want to remind you of the impact of an altar. The impact of a mama, a daddy, a young man, a young woman who says, you know what? I'm going to give everything I can to God. I, I'm going all in for God. I, I'm going I'm to rededicate all over at the beginning of a year. I'm going to rededicate whatever my prayer life was in 2021. It's going to be that or greater in, in the next year. Whatever my Bible reading was in 21, I'm going to make sure that I get in the Word of God because let me tell you something. That's the only real news you know you can get in America in 2022 is in the Word of God. And so whatever it is, whatever my fasting commitment was, it's going to be that or more in 2022 because we are racing the rapture. But God is attracted to people who build altars. People who say, Bishop Wilson had a log, but I may have just a chair. I may have a closet, but there's going to be a place where God hears my voice on a consistent basis every day. It's not just about Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. It's an everyday experience. It's walking with God. It's talking with God. The impact, the impact, the impact of an altar. Would you stand to your feet all over this room? And if you feel comfortable doing so, why don't you come as close as you can to the front of this room? All I'm preaching toward tonight is a recommitment, a reconsecration of our spiritual disciplines for this brand new year. Let me tell you the hardest thing you will have to do between now and the rapture. Stay saved. The devil will fight your prayer life, your Bible reading life, your fasting life more than anything else because if you ever let that slip, something will get in the way and you'll, you'll walk out of relationship with God. So I'm calling you just for a few moments to say, God, I recommit myself to you. I promise you in 2022, you're going to see me. You're going to hear me. You're going to see me in your word. You're going to see me pushing back the plate because there's an impact of an altar that God goes beyond just how it affects me. It goes beyond, God, would you help me pay my bills? And God, would you give me this job? And God, would you give me favor? There's an impact that has generational implications in our lives. Lift your hand. Lift your hands all over this room and begin to talk to God. Come on, make a commitment to God for this upcoming year. God, every day you're going to hear from me.
Every day you're going to hear from me. God, I want to be in your word every day. God, I'm going to push back the plate more in 2022. God, this is not about marking something off the list. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with you, God. God, when, when my time on earth is gone, I, I want what my children say about me is daddy knew how to pray. Mama knew how to pray. Mama knew how to find a place to get alone with God. The impact of an altar. When your kids move off, there's an impact of an altar. When you're going through storms, you don't know how in the world you're going to get through it. There's an impact of an altar. When, when things are upside down, there's an impact of an altar. Come on and talk to God in your own way.
Several years ago, I preached a pastor's retreat in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. The Lord had given me a specific message. And I preached it there, and I preached it here in a different version titled, The High Cost of an Anointing. But something the Lord spoke to me after I preached that message was the very verse that my friend preached about tonight. In the message, I made a point that the first time that the anointing appears in the scripture was that night when a homeless man poured oil on a rock. And I thought, man, that's a good point. 
So I preached it. It was a good point. And then the Lord spoke to me later and said, did you notice who anointed the rock? It wasn't me. It was Jacob. You don't wait for God to anoint your prayer life. You anoint your prayer life. And then God shows up with the supernatural. God, if I don't feel anything when I pray, I'm still going to pray. I'm going to pour the oil on my altar. I'm going to pour the oil on my prayer life. God, if I wake up and I feel like I can barely stay awake, I'm still going to pour oil on my altar. God, when everything's going wrong in my life and I don't know what to do, God, I'm going to pour oil on my altar. Thank you, Pastor Smith, for preaching to us tonight. What a word from God, the impact of an altar. I'm going to tell you, J. Frank Wilson never went to that prayer log so it would end up in our prayer room. He went to that prayer log so he could have a relationship with God. And when he built his relationship with God, here we are, 26 years later, still walking by that prayer log and it's still being preached about. He didn't do it for it to be there. He did it, and that's why it's there. Your impact of relationship. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Pastor Smith. Amen. Let, you know, let the Smith family know how thankful we are they came to Bethlehem tonight. Amen. Amen. I, I grew up in Indiana, man, when snow, snow's no big deal. We just grew up around it all the time. But I know we're not used to it. And so, and so uh, be careful on your way home. Amen. Be back Wednesday night, 7.15, ready to have uh, Bible class. Looking forward to what the Lord's going to do. It's going to be a great year. Amen. It's going to be a great year. And you're dismissed in Jesus' name.